Recording from Somerset, this is One for All, the podcast to motivate and inspire you through your job-seeking journey. From Sure Trust, One for All. Hello and welcome to this episode of One for All, where we will be taking a look at what it takes and means to work in the social care sector. My name is Jordan, I am your host for today, and this episode is just one in a series aimed at inspiring you to apply the advice of our guests to your own situation. Today I am joined by Matthew Kalupka, who is the co-founder and director of Home Counties Carers based in East Horsley in Surrey. By the end of this episode, you should have a better understanding of what is required to work in the care industry and whether or not it could be right for you. Matthew, first and foremost, thank you for joining me today. Uh, And most importantly, how are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. I am sitting at home. Some of our staff are in the office because obviously the care services we provide are obviously critical. So there are people in the office. But apart from that, we are well. We've had some ups and downs, but generally in good order. Thank you. How are you? Perfect. I'm well, thank you. I'm well. I'm I'm hoping that um, you and your team are are able to deal with lockdown 2.0 as it's now being referred to? Yeah, I think we are. Uh, I think this lockdown is slightly different from the last lockdown. I think there are more difficulties now to contend with, um, but they're all manageable. Uh, Yeah, I think we're in a good, strong position. Our carers seem to be as happy as they can be. I think uh, donning and doffing PPE all the time is a burden that they have now had to get used to but it's one of these things once you get used to it it's fine but no I think we're all in good order thanks. Perfect so just want to start by introducing you a bit more so obviously you are currently the director of a care organisation which you co-founded alongside your wife Lucinda is that right? Yeah that's right. So just to like we said introduce yourself a bit more please can you give our listeners a brief understanding of your background and how you got to the position that you're in now um i studied a uh, i studied construction or building technology and management at university uh, i wanted to get into the property development sector so i worked in residential development for about five years it was it was fun, but I wasn't very good at it. So after, <laughs> so after five years, I moved into recruitment. I had a long career in recruitment, which was great. But in the 2007-8 recession, um, it became quite tiresome having to ring people up asking if they wanted to recruit any, anyone when... All they were doing was laying off people because it was a property and financial uh, recruitment business and that's what was hit by the recession back then. So uh, my wife and I were at a loose end. We weren't enjoying our jobs. Um, we had a 18-month-old son and we decided to chuck it all in and we moved to Costa Rica. So we spent a year in Costa Rica. Um, trying to learn Spanish, uh, which I wasn't very good at. Um, I I learned to surf, which was I was better at, but not much better. And we had a a wonderful year getting away from everything. And I think that year gave us a sort of confidence um, to venture into home counties carers, which again was um, a slight accident. 
we didn't know what we were going to do when we came back from Costa Rica. We knew where we were going to live. We knew that we didn't want to recruit back, uh, commute back to London. We considered opening a barbecue restaurant. I considered designing furniture. I thought about opening an art gallery. Um, and all these things were very romantic, but I don't think they were very credible. Um, and I think I was talking to my mum at the penultimate week of before coming home and she said, oh, you know, grand's well, she's having care. And she said, oh, you could do care. So for want of anything other to do, we said, OK, we'll give care a go. And then when we arrived back in England, I think it was in about the April time, um, we started putting together a business plan. Never done it before. Uh, but there's plenty on the internet to find out how to write a business plan and things just gathered momentum. So Lou and I started Home Counties Carers. So we certainly had our hands full, but I think we were still very um, uh, full of a sort of joy and confidence having spent a year in Costa Rica um, that taught us a lot of things really about if you want to put your mind to anything, you can do anything because most people thought it was quite daunting going to Costa Rica, but actually in reality, um, it wasn't. But no one needs to know that. Um, <laughs> so, yes, we decided to set up Home Counties Carers. Um, my gran was living, lived locally. Um, she's still with us today, 10 years on, and, and we look after her. Um, she was having good care, uh, absolutely. But I think Lou had worked in the NHS, and I think... Um, it had taken its toll on her and I think that we just knew we could do better um, than I think what was out or what was currently being provided. So um, we set about setting up Home Counties Carers. So um, Perfect, thank you. It, it, I think it's fair to say that you've definitely got um, an alternative route yourself into the social care area. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, crumbs. I would have never have dreamed uh, I would be in this uh, situation uh, as I would never have thought about being in recruitment when I was in property. And in fact, I wasn't really sure I wanted to do property until quite late on. Um, and I think that's the thing that I wouldn't bank on having one career. I would be excited about the prospect of many. This is One For All from Sure Trust, aiming to build a future where rewarding employment is accessible for all. We believe in fairness, equality and opportunity. We are the largest not-for-profit employment support service in the UK. We are a social purpose organisation, challenging inequality and breaking down barriers to enable social mobility. In, in the COVID world at the moment, it sounds like you've got experience previously from having something happen on a national scale that led to some major life changes for you guys, like you mentioned the recession in 2007 and 2008. Um, just on that, before we go further, how important was it for you to take that time to reflect on what was important as far as your career is concerned? Interesting. I, I don't think we really thought I think we were driven to it just because our situation seemed at the time so dire um, there was no there was no real plan and there was no real sort of forethought of what would happen afterwards so to say it was sort of on a whim is probably better so i.e the situation was quite diabolical we thought right let's just do it let's get out of here man so that's what we did but there was no future vision 
But that year instilled in both of us a sort of a real can-do approach. You know, I was so full of confidence. And that's what enabled us to crack on with setting up Home Counties Carers. The other sort of motto I learned out there was wait five days. You know, even though we were living in paradise, things did go wrong. But obviously the pace of life over there is slower. And generally, if you just sat back and relaxed, um, and after five days, most of your problems have resolved themselves. So it's something I do today. If I have a problem at work, I try and take a deep breath and say, hey, wait, just wait a few days and I'm sure it will resolve itself. And um, nine times out of ten, it does. So, yes, uh, there was no plan, but it enabled us to do what we do now. Very definitely. Perfect. Let's hone in on Home Counties Carers itself. So within your social care space in which you operate now, what exactly has the pandemic meant for you and your team? When it first came to a head uh, in, I think for us in about March this year, I have to say there was, there was, a, there, there was a period of panic, but going back to the sort of mantra, wait five days, um, after a couple of weeks, it, things slightly settled down. And actually, if you remember back at the very beginning, um people weren't wearing ppe we were wearing ppe as we would delivering care normally but um they didn't know fully about how uh, covid was spread and this that and the other so we had the lockdown and actually the lockdown was a really positive period i think uh because everybody was supporting carers and the nhs staff there was the clapping it was the fine weather um and actually, it was it, it was an interesting period, I think. And I think that all of our clients uh, were extremely grateful for what we were doing. Um, it was interesting, as I said, uh, you know, positive. Um, we were lucky. We didn't have any clients with COVID. We didn't have any carers with COVID. Uh, and we were blessed. We are making sure that all of our carers are, are safe. They have the appropriate PPE. They have the appropriate information. And now they've been doing it for a number of months that I think most of them are pretty au fait with it and they're just getting on with it and they realise this is how it's going to be for a time yet. So, yes, it's been challenging. It's been positive, but generally we've been um, in a good position. So from your perspective, then, what do the opportunities look like for someone outside the care sector looking at social care as a potential employment option at the moment? We are a relatively small local provider that provides health and support to private pay clients only. But there's a a wealth of social care organisations, whether it's supported living, assisted living, young adults with disabilities or very big domiciliary care businesses. I think that there are more people now, uh, more in the candidate pool, let's say, um, who have lost their jobs and are looking for something to do. And becoming a a carer uh, is a rewarding career. It can be flexible. Um, It's often local to home um, and therefore it can seem like an obvious choice uh, for someone looking for work and being a carer um, you have to be a complete chameleon so every day 
every visit <clears throat> you don't know what you're going to come across and you need the sort of the ability to assess a situation and change how you work and that's why you know carers have to be chameleons and i don't really know how what you know what other job that you have to do that in and then that itself it's hard there are people that it's just embedded in them um and it resonates strongly in, in care and i think from what you've just said what resonates with me is the idea of if ever i'm researching for you know a potential job opportunity I'm a big fan personally of what I call human research. So I can Google as much as I like. I can look at relevant qualifications as much as I like. But I'm personally a big fan of actually reaching out to individuals in that area to get a better understanding of whether or not I think it would be right for me. Would you, I suppose, would you recommend that sort of approach to inform someone's decision about whether or not social care might be right for them rather than just looking things up on the Internet? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for sure. Um, when I interview people, part of the one of the questions I ask is, um, you know, do you know anybody who has been a carer or is in social care? Because it really helps. Um, I think we can all be guilty of hearing what we want to hear and imagining what we want to imagine. And I think that is slightly dangerous with becoming a carer because I think you can have this romantic notion of sort of tea and biscuits with a, a, a dear couple or whatever um, and that does happen don't get me wrong but that might be one visit out of seven that you do in the day and the other six could be certainly not that romantic vision of tiffin and tea so I, I think yes talking to people who actually do it and listening to what their life how their sort of work life pans out is really important. So it's really important people get a good understanding as to what it's all about before they have a go at it. Mm. Mm, I agree. So does that therefore mean that whether you're in more of a supporting role, kind of, you know, back end office administration versus the carers that are going out hands on doing it at the front end, would you say the demands are very different on those two groups or are they the same because the client has to be at the front of everything you do? At Home Counties Carers, we, we have a common and shared belief, and that is that our clients deserve the best care. Let's not complicate it. It's quite simple. Our clients deserve the best care. So if you're ever in a situation and you're slightly unsure as to what to do, if you were to say to yourself, well, in this situation, if the outcome is the client deserves the best care, you know, what do I need to do now to ensure that? And that really always ends up sort of giving you the right solution. It's at the centre of everything that we do, and it should be at the centre of what everybody does. But for us, yes, it's it, it, it's key. And sometimes you, you know, it's classic, isn't it? It's that sort of um, you have the leadership team and then you have the workforce. And if the leadership team aren't often involved with workforce actually doing care visits, you can quickly forget the pressures on them. Um, so I think we're lucky in the fact that our leadership team still very much all do provide care and support. So they are 
very aware of the stresses and strains going on. You mentioned your team that you that you have at Home Counties Carers. How diverse is that team? So uh, do you have a team of people that have always been in care from, you know, the moment they'd left school? Or similar to yourself, do you have a team of individuals that have come uh, into the care sector from different backgrounds? What have, What do you see in front of you? Yeah, a whole mishmash of everything. If you looked at are some of our carers um, and you look at our living carers whether they are from Zimbabwe, Europe or the UK most of them have had jobs and careers that were totally unrelated to care and there came a juncture in their life and they decide to give care a go. Often it's because a friend does it and tells them how enjoyable it is or how good it is or this that and the other and then they give it a go But yes, so there are plenty of our team that have diverse backgrounds. And I think a number of our Eastern Europeans have had, they have degrees, they've worked in financial institutions, they've worked in agriculture, they've worked in universities, they've been researchers, teachers, everything. Uh, And they've either given that up or it's come to an end and they are providing care and a lot of them have been providing care for sort of five or ten years so it's something that they really love and value um, and you know brings them benefits enjoyment and satisfaction so a whole smorgasbord of people uh, in our business perfect I, I can imagine that with that comes a uh, a very diverse group of personalities as well Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think I always say that carers are like a box of chocolates. You never quite know what you're going to get until you bite into them. And I think uh, (laughs) a lot of our clients, and you go and meet with them in the first instance, uh, and we found this a lot early doors, is that they're sort of, they say, well, I'm only going to have one carer, aren't I? And you kind of draw, take a deep breath. And you you, you can't run a care business on a sort of one-to-one basis unless you have living care. But even if you have living care, it can't be one-to-one because every carer needs a break, so you need to swap over. Uh, And I think we've got quite proficient now explaining to potential new clients that, no, you won't have the same care the whole time. You'll have a team of carers, and it will be the same team, and the team varies in size depending on how many visits a day you have or what support you need but what I always tell them is that every carer brings something different to your life and some might be brilliant at chatting and raconteurs and uh, draw out of you some interesting memories and others might be really good at making sure your house is spotless and Every client is different. Some people like spotless houses and don't like talking. Some people like talking a lot and their house isn't spotless. So you, uh, I think it's much better to have that sort of diversity um, across the business. So yes, um, yeah, very interesting people and a lot to a lot to learn. One of our carers is a very keen tango dancer, so um, I always think of that when I see her. <laughs> have you have you ever been uh, drafted into that? <laughs> What tango or being yeah. a carer? No, <laughs> not really. I think I, I think I did have ballroom dancing lessons once in my youth, but uh, I have two left feet, so gave that up. Well, I think when COVID subsides, that's definitely your next team building opportunity. I think okay. right there. That's <laughs> not a bad idea. It's one of those things everybody would grimace at, and then when you actually do it, they'd come out and go, "That's quite fun." One for all.
I think what you're trying to convey is that it definitely takes a level of commitment more than probably a number of other sectors out there would um, from an individual. And I think as a personal quality, you know, from your existing team, it sounds like you have a very resilient group of people around you. Um, and I think resilience and that commitment to, I suppose, develop yourself is is quite an essential part of any role in, in your sector, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. There's a, again, I'm not sure if I'm going off point here, but there is a, a, a book um, by a gentleman called Neil Eastwood. I think it's called Saving Social Care. And it's it's a book about entering into the social care market and recruitment uh, and what to look out for and things like that. It's, it's a very interesting book. And Neil's a great guy and he's a huge uh, figure, I suppose, in social care, uh, and there's lots of on YouTube. But uh, when I'm recruiting, you really want to try and concentrate your efforts on the people that are going to have the resilience to stick it out. And in the book, he talks about a couple of very interesting things. And oddly, if you have got a very strong relationship with your grandparents, and even maybe you've been brought up by your grandparents you tend to be a very good carer. Um, and if you have worked with animals, again, the chances are you will make it as a carer. So it's interesting. So again, when I'm interviewing people, I often ask them what their relationship is with their grandparents or their work with animals, because it gives you a, a little bit of a steer as to whether you know they will have the resilience or what it takes to, to stick it out. Yes, yeah, so there's lots of interesting bits and pieces really in that book so neil eastwood if anybody's interested uh, google him and have a look but uh, yeah some good stuff there we started to talk about skills and qualities so i so let's move into that space so what advice would you give to people that want to build that long-term career in this sector rather than just getting a job for now what what's going to make you stand out among the crowd i would be asking people to reflect on their life to date to ask themselves some questions along the lines of, well, have I actually ever cared for someone um, previously myself? So not paid professional, but you know, did you look after your your grandma or your grandpa? Have you supported a friend who uh, was suffering? Have you actually had any care experience that you haven't really thought about as care experience because you just did it? I think that's a good place to start because if you have, I'm looking for those sorts of people that have already inadvertently had some experience. The other thing is going back, I just, just some really, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question here, but traditional things. Okay, so I talked about our values of looking for people who are friendly, reliable, trustworthy, and competent. I've learned that just little things, if you send somebody an email confirming the meeting and they don't respond back, there's a little red flag's gone up. Um, in the early days, the number of no-shows I had to interviews was huge. I used to advertise in newspapers and things like that, and that is how you do it. But now you've got job boards. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to go into all of that and bore you, but there are lots of little things that you could do. So you send them an email and they confirm they've got it. You know, do they turn up on time? How are they presented? Can they find the office? Again, all these little things that you you're thinking okay right fine i think our clients like people who are polite and well-mannered who are well presented who have 
clear communication skills, who can demonstrate common sense and things like that. You need to get up early. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you don't like mornings, you know, doing care isn't necessarily going to be for you. But you've got to ask your sorts those sorts of questions. And I think that is where I would start. So are traditional values important? Have I done some care that I'd slightly forgotten about when I didn't think it was care in the past? Am I happy to work weekends? Am I happy to work evenings? Am I happy to drive? You know, you, you, you've got to ask those sorts of questions to yourselves, I suppose. I, I think when you refer to traditional values, it sounds as if there are these core set of basic job seeking skills, let's call them, that a person for you as a recruiter needs not necessarily to pass the interview but because they are a core part of what you will be doing every single day you go to work absolutely uh, but i guess this transcends every uh, company looking to employ staff i suppose not suppose it does the other thing i choose to do when i interview someone who's never done care before is i take them through it's an unrealistic scenario but everything in it has truly happened. So I take them through the worst day of their life from the fact that their housemate has stayed up all night partying so they haven't slept. And then they've got to get up early in the morning. They've got a seven o'clock visit and they get out and it's snowed and their car is frosted up. And again, it, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of fun in many ways. Uh, it brings a smile or it brings something else. But it's something that's important to sort of demonstrate to people. Um, I then end it, say, by the way, that will never happen. But you may well end up turning up to a client's house and finding them uh, on the floor. You know, what are you going to do? But again, it's just trying to show people what a career in care is really like. But again, it's the same with any industry to a degree. You have good days and bad days. Um, again, I think I've deviated and didn't really answer the question. But you've got to be friendly, reliable, trustworthy and competent. And you want to care. Oh, my gosh. Mm. All, all of our staff, I mean... The things they do that are above and beyond what they need to do is amazing. Um, and they're often the smallest things that really don't take a lot. But when you're wrapped up in the sort of busyness of work, you sometimes lose sight of things. So I remember one of our carers at Easter, um, she just went to the shop and bought a few little mini eggs. And um, she'd turn up to a client and while she was doing her bits and pieces, she would put out some eggs, like a mini Easter egg hunt, sort of all within their visibility, but they didn't know they were doing it. She was doing it. And then um, she would disappear off to her next visit. And then the client would be sitting there and they'd spot an egg and then they'd find another one and another one. And, they, and you know, and you get these amazing sort of emails or cards back saying, oh my God, I'm so glad I haven't had an Easter egg hunt for years. And are uh, you know and it's just wonderful and, and there are these small sort of things and are you that kind of person that does that naturally um do you go the extra mile are you really thinking about what your client deserves um have you got the capacity to do those nice little touches you know and loads and loads and loads of people have um so yeah that is positive one for all Let's explore that journey then. So I come to you, Matthew, and say, for example, I'm interested in the care sector because I've seen the you know, level of care that my grandparents received. Equally, I really enjoy working with people and building long lasting relationships. You feel that I'm right for a care assistant position, let's say, with Home Counties Carers. 
what does my career progression look like in front of me? I want to develop. I want to get better and upskill. What does that journey look like? Okay, so you would start, first of all, as a care assistant, and we would then look into signing you up to do your QCF or MBQ, say, level two. That would take you, if you're super bright and super committed and you've got a good training provider and you've got a good mentor, you can do it in 12 months. But most people take 18 months to two years. So you are being a carer at that time. Then you would swiftly move to a sort of senior carer. So therefore you are probably mentoring more junior members of staff. You would then move uh, up to a field care supervisor. So you would be visiting clients and carers, assessing how carers are practicing their trade. You call them spot checks, you call them supervisions, you call them all sorts of bits and pieces. So you would be completing paperwork and you would be feeding that back to the office. You would be mentoring carers out in the field. So you've, you've hopped up a couple of the rungs uh, in the ladder and there's no reason why you couldn't do that in within a year if you wanted to. OK, you wouldn't have necessarily finished your QCF level two, but you don't need the level two to do that. So you're a field care supervisor. So you may well be armed with a computer or iPad or you've got your device and you're out and about. I think the next thing is your care coordinator. So your care coordinator is the person that sits at home or in the office and builds the rotor. So you're becoming a lot more aware of what's going on around you, uh, your clients, what their needs are. Are they critical? Are they less critical? So you've got to be able to hold a lot of information in your mind and then sort of build the rotor. So you will be the care coordinator for, um, a, number of, for a number of years. So you need to be thinking, well, how do I get up to care manager? And you sort of learn a lot of it on the job. You might decide to do a level four QCF uh, then when you're the care coordinator and you then, you know, take a progression to care manager. So that might be three years in maybe from being a carer. And then therefore you are responsible for all your clients or your carers. But you're visiting clients in the first place. You're meeting them for the first time. You're finding out what their needs are. You are working at what solution you might be able to present to them. You're telling them about your business, the culture, the ethos. You're talking to them about the costs. You're talking to family members. Challenging because often you, you will still be called out to go and provide care if carers come in, call in sick or ill or on holiday. Um, so, again, you're still, even though you're a care manager, you are still closely aligned with your care team. Uh, and again, there are various spin-offs. There's lots of, you know, you can become a training manager, you can be a recruitment manager. Um, you don't have to have a formal care background to do the, 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 the recruitment side of things, but you need to work in a big company that need a recruitment manager full time. Uh, then you can progress up to a registered manager and the registered manager is someone who is uh, registered the, the Care Quality Commission, our governing body, as the person who really is in control of that business. All the quality assurance, compliance, everything. So my wife Lucinda is our registered manager. That is, I suppose that is one of the most senior positions, but as you get a bigger company, you might then have an over head of compliance and you might have regional registered managers and then you might have 
regional care coordinators and so it goes up and I think that you, you then look at other types of services and care homes and there are a lot of new build care homes where they need I don't know, heads of care homes, registered managers, they've all got different titles but I mean principally it's the same experience but if you are a registered manager in a sort of 70, 100, 120 bed uh, care home you know you're on a six-figure salary you're on a hundred thousand pounds plus uh, I believe um, so there is a career path there and I think it probably takes about four years I think really three or four years to get to being a care coordinator another couple of years care manager another couple of years registered manager so you you can get there in I don't know, 10 years, a bit less than that, uh, which again uh, is similar to many others. And then once you are at that level, then you can decide to, you know, you can move around. You could go and work with uh, a charity uh, or assisted living or a living care. There are lots of possible avenues um, to explore. So there is very much a career out there as long as you make it over the first few hurdles. And that's the key thing is, as you, you said, is that resilience and that desire to do well. Ah, thank you. It, it sounds very much like as you develop in a role in the care sector, because of the amount of upskilling that happens and, you know, your, as your skills and attributes develop, it sounds very much like a lot of doors can open for you whether it be within the same organization or in a wider remit, like you mentioned, going into other areas of the care sector, other organizations, charities, um, et cetera. It sounds like the possibilities really do open up once you get going and you get into it. Speaking of something that you touched upon very briefly, whether you're a more direct care operative or a operational support, like you said, I think some people may refer to it as back office staff, let's say. What are the opportunities like in terms of how many full-time opportunities there will be, how many part-time? Do you have many that are bank staff? Are you limited in the, the possibilities for you if you're available only to work part-time for a certain time period? No, not at all. Actually, it's quite good. I mean, I think that um, there are absolutely part-time roles. Bookkeepers, you know, the accountancy side is much needed. Um, marketing, uh, there's a business development, um, all of that sort of stuff. I think it, it varies with the back office type stuff, absolutely. But yes, um, part-time and full-time, it really depends on the scale of the business. You could easily get a job in health and so in social care right now, spray and pray. You could easily get a job. You don't, you don't have to really think twice. As long as you can drive and you can turn on your WhatsApp and do an interview, you will get a job. But if you've gone about it differently, investigating, speaking to people, maybe ringing up a company direct and talking to the direct and putting the time and effort in, you will get a job and that will be a job that will lead to a career. Brilliant. And we've touched on the idea of traditional skills or transferable skills. What would you say are the most important of those transferable skills to convey to a potential employer in order to work in social care? Well, I think it goes back for me personally, it goes back to our the, our core values as a business and then what our clients look for. So I, I talk about being friendly, reliable, trustworthy and competent. So 
those can be values, they can be behaviours, they can be skill sets, but you've got to have those people, you know, that you, you, can't, you can't be grumpy. When I talk about trustworthy, it's about, I don't mean about sort of stealing a Ming vase from a client. I, I talk about, it's, can we trust you to relay the appropriate information back to the office so the office can make the best decision so the care client is getting the best thing? Can we trust you not to call in sick 20 times a year and things like that? Basics, interview technique. If you say you're going to interview at a certain time on a certain day, be there, whether it's at the end of the phone or whatever else. And then, yeah, timely and prop, well presented. So I think that is really what I'm looking for. I, I'm not looking for someone who's caring. It's very quite hard to define caring. It's less hard to define friendly and reliable. So I think it's those, those, those are key for me, being friendly, reliable, trusted, competent and those traditional values. One for all. Let me tell you about one of our team who, who left our business. Her background was retail and she used to work in a whiskey shop. I think it got to her. She, she came, she hadn't done care before, but she had had experience of supporting people and she had all the right values and this, that and the other. Anyway, so she started working with us. And I think that the, the, the thing that got to her in the first place was the fact that she hadn't quite gauged how emotionally involved she would become with some of our clients. And I think that is an absolute joy to this business, okay? And I think that she just absolutely loved visiting her clients. She loved uh, building the relationship with them. Them being so grateful and kind and whatever else, it just, compared to being in retail, it, it was amazing. There came a point, though, that she was particularly close to one client and that client did pass away. And I think it it, it shook her and uh, she decided to decide to leave. I think an opportunity came up. She was walking past a shop window and it said manager wanted and she probably had a bit of a a rough day. And she went in and they took her arm off. And anyway, she left us and went back into the retail sector. But about eight months later, she just came back and said, "I, I... I just can't get over how much I miss seeing my clients. And uh, she'd been communicating with some of the team throughout this time, asking how they were, how they were getting on, and how so-and-so, and is so-and-so still doing this, and has so-and-so got over this. And she just built this amazing emotional bond with all of our clients. And, and therefore, you know, she tried to go back to retail, and and didn't fancy it and she came back into care and she's now back with some of her old clients and she's got new ones and she absolutely loves it and I think but she's now a bit more resilient to to it and I think that that just shows you what can happen the carers they are loyal to their clients because they just absolutely sort of love helping and supporting them it's just in their genes it's hardwired in and I think that is what is so amazing um, about what they do and it's those people that obviously stick around and hang around in the care sector so and, and they are certainly out there we certainly need more of them so yeah dip your toe in the water but do your research first, understand what you're letting yourself in for, talk to some people before you sort of enter the water and do talk to a number of different care companies in your local area because although we all do the same thing, we all do it very differently and some cultures and ethos will suit you better than others. 
So yeah, do your research, find the right company, understand what's going on, be prepared to get emotionally involved. Um, and yeah, it's a fantastic, uh, rewarding career or role. So um, yeah, it's open to everyone. From Sure Trust, one for all. Thank you so much, Matthew, for joining me today. Uh, the insight that you've given has been really valuable. Just before we sign off, where can our listeners go to find out more information about the social care sector and home counties carers? Well, about home counties carers, you can visit our website, which is www.homecountiescarers.co.uk. An excellent resource is Skills for Care. There's a lot of information there about the sector, about learning, development, best practice. So that is an absolute must. So Skills for Care. You've got the UK HCA, which is the sort of national body for supporting health and social care. I mentioned that book, which is Saving Social Care by Neil Eastwood. will enlighten you to all sorts of exciting bits about the sector. Thank you once again to my guest today, Matthew Kalupka from Home Counties Carers. And to our listeners, please remember that we will make resources available for all that's been mentioned over the course of this episode, as well as providing links to the Home Counties Carers website for you to have a further read of on the participant portal. Until next time, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.